Welcome to BSing with Sean K on Radio Free Brooklyn. I am your host, Sean Neese, and on this show, I talk with people pursuing their creative intellectual passions and living outside the box, providing a platform for opinions and perspectives not often heard in the mainstream media, and still a lot going on with uh, protests and some new legislations. One of them was in California, they banned private prisons and immigration detention centers and I've always been against um, the idea of like private prisons for profit and the private prison industry and I'm glad about that and I know there's also there's also a lot of people are saying defund the police and I know when a lot of people hear that they're like oh what does that mean and I, I had to look it up myself. Um, and in an article I read in refinery29.com described it as uh, usually to defund something. This is from the article. Usually to defund something means to strip it of it to strip it of its funding entirely. But while there are some who would advocate to abolish the American police force wholesale. Recent mainstreamed proposals to defund the police are actually just calling for their budgets to be drastically pared down and for city and state municipalities to reinvest some of the money that would normally be spent on policing and housing, employment, and health care. So I think basically it's demilitarization of the police, which I've always supported. I don't support getting rid of the police altogether. I know that. Uh, there are cases where police are needed and there's other cases where police are used where they necessarily don't need to be used like um like in case of like a drunk driver like a something like a mental health issue or someone's overdosed i don't know if we need armed police to handle that i think there could be different unit it could be like broken up into different units that could could handle different things i've just been seeing people throw around defund the police and they're not really explaining what that means and I know that's not going to sit well with a lot of people so I think at least my stance I can only speak for myself is not abolishing the police but creating a new kind of police that's less authoritarian in nature because I've been seeing a lot of you know horrible acts of police brutality and it's I know that people say oh it's not you know it's just a few bad apples and that's true there are like good cops and stuff but I think the system as we have now like it needs some kind of reform it needs to be police need to be working with the community to protect them and not ruling over them and also like I talked about last week you know bias training it should be only people from that community policing people in that community and I think majority of the protests is peaceful, and from what I've seen in footage, uh, the, the protests are peaceful, and then people start coming in that aren't even a part of the protests and ruin it for everybody else. Unfortunately, that's not being reported a lot in mainstream media. So getting to my guest for today 
His name is Mike Joseph, and he's also a radio show host here on Radio Free Brooklyn. And he hosts the JCC, which is a music show where he plays R&B, soul, funk, and dance music. And he is also the host of the Detoxicity Podcast. And he gets into what that's about in the show. And he's also been very vocal about what's going on now with the protests and Black Lives Matter and... Since that's what's going on all around the world, I've been that's what I've been mainly deciding to focus on uh, with these last two episodes. The last episode was related to this as well. And anyway, we got into a conversation about systemic racism and and about what could be done to solve it, and also about empathy, having better conversations with people, and getting to know people of different backgrounds as a way to beyond racism and also some of his own personal experiences with racism i did that i got into some of that with my uh with uh my guest last week my friend aura that i know from improv but this one we went more into like the leg what could be done legislation wise and not only that we talk about his show the jcc and like his broadcasting and also the detoxicity podcast which is focuses like on mental health and and he goes into more of what it's about in the episode and anyway here's the conversation and i hope you enjoy it i listened to your interview today with uh lisa oh, Dr. Lisa? Lisa, yeah. yeah yeah and you were talking um you start out with talk about like systemic uh, racism and what's going on now with uh the death of George Floyd and the protesting against um, murders of African-Americans by the police and what could be done about um, having like ending discrimination from the police department. Right. Uh, And so I wanted to, I wanted to get into that today with you and then maybe also like talk about some of your personal experience. I know that's a lot of what you did with uh, Lisa Levy, but uh, Maybe cool. who knows? Maybe we'll get into some other stuff since this is the or it's the Sean K version, I guess. So we'll yeah, <laughs> no big deal. So um, I guess just you know, tell us about yourself, um, and I guess like your own life experiences and what 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 shaped your worldview. Huh. All right. Well, um, my name's Mike Joseph. I, uh, I do a lot of things. Um, I have a day job in the music industry. Um, I host the JCC on Radio Free Brooklyn uh, every Wednesday, which is a music show. Um, I also host a podcast called Detoxicity, which is about ending toxic masculinity. Um, I used to co-host uh, several podcasts. Um, I still occasionally co-host a podcast called Life on the Swing Set, which is about... Uh, sexual education, basically. Um, I am a mental health activist. I am occasionally a DJ. Um, I do a lot of different things. And I guess, like, uh, you talked about being, like, a mental health activist. Um, is, is there anything you've been doing with that, like, that relates to what's going on now, like, people's mental health? Not specifically. I mean, um there, you know, the, the mental health outreach that I've done has been kind of not specifically geared towards any, you know, any racial background or ethnic background or anything like that. It's just been kind of talking about my own experience. And I do think that there is some of my, uh, 
you know, some of my issues with mental wellness do come from being a, a black person. Um, but none of the outreach I've done has been very specific to any particular group. It's been kind of, you know, useful for everybody, I think. So what, what can you say about what's going on now with all the movements? Um, I think it's, it's, I'm hopeful that something good will come out of this and that there'll be changes, uh, governmental changes uh, on a national and local level. Um, I'm hopeful, and I already see that it is changing some people's attitudes about white privilege and um, opening up dialogue between the races to sort of get to understand what people go through a little bit better because I think empathy is a really, really big part of, of what it requires to make change. Um, privileged people need to know what it's like to walk in unprivileged people's shoes. And, um, you know, that experience I think is what sort of moves the needle in terms of, of, of you know, progress. Um, you know, I think it, it, things have come to a head. I mean, the George Floyd case isn't the only case that, uh, you know, has happened recently. I mean, it's happened at least three other times in the last like seven days. Um, and it's a consistent narrative that black people are getting harassed for no reason by cops. And the, um, the ethnicity of the cop usually doesn't make a difference, but it is mostly white cops. Um, and they end up being dead for no reason other than, you know, for something that anyone else would get a slap on the wrist from. And, and police officers have been taught and uh, conditioned to act uh, without impunity towards uh, black people. And, you know, we pay their salaries just like everybody else does. We um, are the people that just supposed to protect and serve just like they do everybody else. But we're the ones that end up getting killed. And, you know, people are upset and it's not just black people and people are protesting and trying to get laws changed and trying to move the needle as far as that. And, you know, I, I it sucks that people have, have to lose their lives for no reason other than the color of their skin at the hands of law enforcement. And I think the key to getting it to stop is exactly what people are doing right now, which is being on the street and talking to people and making their voices heard and, and you know, making it abundantly clear that this stuff has to change. And I thought uh, it was interesting what you said today on Dr. Lisa's show, you mentioned that you think the internet has been helping with people to empathize more. And that's why it's helped us make some progress with um, as far as uh, like racism and discrimination, but, but, uh, but at the same time also, of course, there's a lot of those uh, alt-right or racist sure. groups on the far right were formed because of Reddit and sure. uh, like YouTube and like their YouTube videos and other things like that. I mean, the internet empowers, has the ability to empower people and it empowers some people for good and it empowers some people for bad. I mean, you know, in terms of black rights, um, Native American, indigenous people's rights, in terms of gay rights, um, trans rights, the internet has been very vocal um, in terms of sort of normalizing that stuff. Whereas, you know, I'm old enough to remember, like I didn't have a computer until I was in my 20s. Um, so I very distinctly remember a time when there was no widely available internet um, in a way that those things were not able to be discussed before everybody had this forum to just communicate with people <clears throat> of different lifestyles, of different ethnicities in different countries um, about this stuff. By the same token, I think there are a lot of people that now feel particularly sort of heterosexual uh, Anglo-Saxon white men, um, Christian white men who 
you know, kind of thought that they were hot shit. And the narrative was that they kind of ruled the country. Um, and that is changing. And they're trying very hard to protect what's theirs, even though the world has already changed. And there was never a point in time when they were the shit. <laughs> um, so it, it, I think the sort of alt-right, um, you know, conservatism is really a reaction to the fact that it has really become this global, diverse um, world just with an array of different people that are all, you know, kind of fighting for equal rights. So it's fear, a lot of it, I think yeah. is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, Public Enemy said it in 1990, it's fear of a black planet, fear of a gay planet, fear of an immigrant planet, um, fear of a female planet. Um, it's, it's all this stuff, you know, because they're woman-hating, racist, homophobic uh, assholes, basically. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So anybody that's not like them, you know, they're afraid of. The thing that we have to remember is that we outnumber them by a very, very, very large quantity. Yeah, and I, and I guess that there's sometimes, like, unfortunately, that's that's been the case. Like, it's easier, it's easier for, like, someone to, like, do wrong or, like, be okay with something bad happening to someone that doesn't look like them or doesn't right. have the same background as them because they, they just, in their mind, it's just like, oh, well, they aren't, they aren't like me. They don't recognize, like, any kind of, it's harder for them to, like, recognize, like, the common humanity right. behind I, that. Right. I mean, there are people, you know, I'm fortunate to have grown up and live in New York City where diversity kind of hits you as soon as you walk out the door. But a lot of these folks who live in suburban areas or rural areas don't get the opportunity to go to school with people that are not like them. Uh, Or if they, there are a handful of people that are not like them, they're the outcasts. Um, They don't get to experience what it's like to hang out with people who are not just other, you know, straight white dudes. Um, And, you know, when they get out into the world, if they ever get out into the world and see that things are a lot different in other places, it's, it's a fucking shock. Um, so people kind of stay in these silos and they, they retain these sort of um, really old school attitudes about the world um, because they've never experienced um, what other people are like, you know, themselves. They've never gone out into the world and tried to like, uh, interact with or bond with people that are not like them. Yeah. And and it's like, on top of that, you know, there's a lot of um, like stereotypes in the, the media or even in right. the, the news only showing like a certain stereotype. Or- right. And it, it is certainly promoted by the media. And if all you knew of a certain type of people was what you saw on the news or heard in, in songs or saw in movies or TV shows, it's going to lead to a very kind of skewed uh, way of thinking. Yeah. And, and maybe people like, unfortunately find like a kind of comfort in that sometimes like kind of compartmentalizing, like grouping a certain group of people here and like seeing them that way because it, it, it simplifies things in their mind. Like they can kind of just like categorize right. people. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, I mean, people don't, they're, I won't generalize, there are a lot of people that don't want to be challenged. And when you have preconceived notions of what somebody is just based on something like gender or, or race or, or uh, sexual orientation, and then you meet a person and they defy those stereotypes that you have in your head, like that'll mess your head up. And there are a lot of people who are not ready for that. 
So do you think the, the internet's like the main way to, to reach people in more isolated communities that might not know people of different backgrounds? It, it's the only way to do it if you can't travel. Um, I mean, I, again, like I've lived in cities my entire life. I've never, I mean, you know, I've never really lived in a suburb. I've never lived in, I've certainly never lived in a rural area. Um, so I, I, I've never been in a place where it's been hard for me to get to like a city because I've always been in a city. Um, but there are people who, you know, in Nebraska and Iowa and, you know, I mean, look, parts of New York, if you go upstate New York, um, you know, go up to Syracuse or, or Albany or Buffalo. Well, yeah, Albany too. Um, you know, or Southern New Jersey or, you know, even places close to us, there are kind of rural communities there. And, you know, not everybody that lives on Long Island even comes into New York City. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned you're uh, like on your Instagram, like you're involved with uh geek culture too like I guess you're you're interested in uh geek culture and I, I've noticed like a lot of the the alt-right seems to kind of be connected to that too at least like on the internet or like with reddit well, and stuff you know like, yeah. they, they, they've spent their whole life at home with like comic books and in, in, in the internet and they don't have any like there's no real real world attachment like they can sort of they're left by themselves to sort of indulge in in the fantasy and, you know, the fantasy of that stuff becomes reality. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I don't know that I'm deep into like what traditional geek culture is, but I was definitely, you know, I still consider myself a nerd. You know, I was certainly called a nerd growing up because I was book smart and I wore glasses and I wasn't like, you know, I wasn't the jock or like the head of the class or anything like that. Um, you know, and back then being a nerd or a geek wasn't a badge of honor the way it is now. I mean, there are things that I'm geeky about, like I'm geeky about music. Um, uh, I'm, you know, geeky about pop culture. Like there's, there are definite things that I'm geeky about. Um, but I'm not like, I have like world experience and I'm interested in interacting with, with the real world. So I'm not like a geek in that way, not like a a sheltered or, or, uh, antisocial type of person. Yeah. So maybe what you just said, like antisocial kind of contributes to it. Like it's a way to, um, since they're kind of like, I guess, mad at the, like they're kind of like in their own like little world anyway. It's a way of saying like, Oh, like, like, you know, I'm the only one that has it right. Like I'm better like than everybody else. Right. Yeah. I mean, not to, to keep harping on the New York thing, but it's like, if I need something, I got to get on the subway and go through different neighborhoods and deal with different people. Um, you know, I don't know. And I mean, when I was a kid, there was definitely a sense of segregation in New York City that doesn't exist now. You know, you can't say Bensonhurst is all Italian anymore because it's not. You know, Bay Ridge isn't all Polish anymore because it's not. Flatbush isn't all Caribbean because it's not. Like, New York City has become, like, not just Manhattan, all of New York City has become more or less a melting pot. So neighborhoods don't really have that... Um, uh, designation based on uh, ethnicity anymore. Um, so, you know, you really don't know what you're going to get when you go from neighborhood to neighborhood in New York anymore. Which is, I mean, to me, is great. Like, I, you know, I have issues with gentrification, but I love the fact that um, that there is such a diverse array of people now all over the city. Yeah. So I guess, um, I guess it'd be hard for a way to that to, like, happen more like another, like not in non-city 
areas. Nah, I mean, you know, apartment culture doesn't really exist in areas that don't have cities. You're not living on top of anybody. You can have acres and acres of space. You know, there's no subway. Like, I remember visiting a friend of mine in, in California once. And he was like, oh, let's go to the supermarket. You know, I'm getting ready to, like, go. I'm ready to walk. And he's like, no, we'll get in the car and drive five minutes to the supermarket. And I'm like, what? Like, no. Like, you interact, you know, you get on a subway or a bus and you interact with people. Um, it's just, it's a different type of life. Um, you know, some people get in their car, you know, they get up in the morning, they get in their car, they go to work, they interact with whatever coworkers they have, they get back in the car, they go home, and that's their life. So uh, legislation-wise, what do you think should be done? Are you for uh, police reform or what? what do you um, think? I think uh, police departments should be defunded. Um, I think there is way too much money put into policing, uh, particularly when crime has dropped the way it has um, in the last 20, 30 years. Um, I think police, police departments should be defunded. I think police officers need to undergo serious training, and that includes unconscious bias training. Uh, it includes sensitivity training. I think they, um, you know, I think police records need to be made public because uh, in New York, as in a lot of other states, police records, disciplinary records are not made available to the public. Um, I think police officers should live in or near the neighborhood that they're assigned to. Um, yeah, I mean, legis legislation-wise, there are just so many things that need to change. Yeah, and I know, I know some groups were talking about, um, like, more community programs uh, that would could solve problems instead of police, and also, like, m mental health. I think one uh, organization yeah. mentioned, like, mental health clinics. Yeah. Like, uh, like I'm guessing that's, like, something you could participate in. in a yeah, I mean, because I, I don't know that many police officers see themselves as us they see themselves as above us. And that's not necessarily specific towards black people, um, but they're sort of like the people that are coming on the white horses to save the day all the time. And, and I don't think, you know, as civil servants, as people that are paid by the public, that power dynamic should not exist. Yeah, it should be more like they're, they're working with the people right. in the community right. rather than they're ruling over them. Right, because yeah. technically they're working for us. Yeah, is is there anything else uh, like maybe we didn't we haven't covered on this that nah. like to go? Nah, I mean that's that's uh, pretty much you know I mean I, I I I've been trying to really stress empathy and that you know for everybody of privilege it's just like imagine what it's like like I'm black I wake up in the morning and not 10 minutes goes by before there's something that I have to do and my race plays a factor in it. Um, and if you're white, I don't think that necessarily comes into the picture, but if you're any other ethnicity that come that I assume that that comes into the picture. Um, and just things like, you know, they, there's one popular meme on the internet, which is, you know, things I have privilege to do as a white person. It's like jogging and, bird watching and or walking your dog in the park like simple things like that like you don't a lot of white people don't understand the mental gymnastics that black people have to go through in order to do those simple things um, and, and you still experience that like a little bit in the city because you said like um there I hasn't been there hasn't been as much of that since you grew uh, since uh you lived in uh, since I, it, it wasn't it, it it wasn't it's less obvious now than it was when I was a kid. I mean, when I was in my early 20s, I was dating somebody that lived in Bensonhurst. 
And like, I was getting off the train. Like I would be worried that something was good. Like I was going to be a victim of violence um, in that neighborhood. That doesn't totally exist anymore, but you know, I, until fairly recently <clears throat> was a regular runner and I run it like really early in the morning, usually uh, before the sun comes up because that's when I have the energy to run or the motivation. And there was never a time when I wasn't running that I would see a police car and not get worried because my assumption is that the police are going to be like, well, what's that dude doing running down the street at this time of the morning? You know, like, what's he up to? There's got to be something going on. And that suspicion is what I have to live with every day. Like you always know, assuming ill intent. Like, yeah. Yeah. And even, you know, like something as simple, like if I am literally just walking down the street and there I am walking close to a white woman, I will actually either like speed up to go ahead of her or hang back and let her get, you know, walk further in front of me. So there's no kind of like situation where I feel like I'm being appearing threatened, uh, threatening to someone because mm -hmm. I, you know, and I'm, I'm five foot eight. I weigh 160 pounds. I am very non-threatening looking person and I will walk down the street. And if there's a, well, a lot of people, but mostly white women, you know, will do the whole speed up, slow down or move their handbag over to the other side or something like that. You know? So it, it, it's, Again, it's one of those things that if you're not, um, you know, if you're not a minority, particularly black, you don't even have to think about. It. But that's stuff that goes through my head every day. And you were talking about unconscious bias training with uh, police. I was, I was just wondering if, like, maybe if that was just something they'd start teaching in schools too, like to children, like if that would be helpful. They should. I mean, I, you know, we had we had it at my workplace about a year ago. Um, and it, it's really important that people understand the experiences of other people and how much like these systemic stereotypes and this systemic power structure plays into how other people are viewed. Um, and, you know, no one wants to admit that they're racist, but I guarantee you most white people are a little bit racist at least. And it can be completely unconscious. Um, but you know, I, I think until you are conscious of whatever percentage of racism exists in you, you're not going to be able to work on it or, or, you know, really truly like, um, understand what your level of privilege is. Yeah. Well, it's hard to, um, I guess totally get rid of something always that you've been getting, like you've been conditioned to. Right. Like if you've been conditioned to think a certain way or assume certain things about people, it's always, it's hard to um, break that conditioning. And I guess people sometimes don't always realize they even have that conditioning. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. people aren't going to realize it unless they're called out. I mean, and I, you know, there are a lot of well-meaning liberal white people in the world who don't have any friends of any ethnicity besides white. And that in itself is a problem because you're not, you can't understand the experience that someone goes through unless you have people that, ha that personally had that experience in your life on a regular basis. Um, so, uh, you know, I mean, you can be pro black, black lives matter all your life, but unless you have black friends, unless there are black people in your life that can call you on your bullshit, like that, that doesn't really 
make a difference. Like you're still, there's probably still a part of you that's racist. So like, what are, what are the main things you think people can do to like get involved or if they want to make a change? Protest, uh, gift charity. Um, you know, there are a bunch of charities floating around. It's very easy to look up what the reputable charities are. Um, interact with people who are not like you interact with people who are not like you empathize, listen, um, you know, vote, uh, all of that stuff. Like it's, it's really, it's very common sense, you know, type of stuff that people just kind of forget to do, I guess. Um, but all of those things move the needle. Yeah. And I, th- I think the, the drug war also like plays, it's plays a big deal. And, um, a big role in a lot of what's going on too. Like maybe if they could decriminalize, like uh, at least like decriminalize marijuana, I, I think they should legalize it and like decriminalize right. other drugs. I think there would be less, um, there'd be less, you know, like African-Americans in prison for non-violent drug offensives and the, and the cops wouldn't be stopping people for smoking marijuana and things like that. Right. So, well, I mean, yeah. pot is decriminalized in New York state. Um, and I, at this point, I mean, I don't know what the stats are. I would imagine it's decriminalized in most states um, and legal in, you know, a handful of states also. I, I, you know, the whole country should be on this, should have been on this a long time ago. Um, like, there's no reason that cigarettes are legal, nicotine is legal, and marijuana is not. Um, but yeah, I mean, that certainly contributes to, the, uh, to a lot of the black and, and Latino uh, people that are uh, incarcerated right now on, you know, on, on shitty weed offenses. Um, and, you know, those people need to be released and their records need to be expunged. And uh, so I, I want to talk a little bit about your uh, detoxicity podcast. You were talking about, uh, like, you talked to your guests about uh, toxic masculinity and um, I guess maybe explain what, what, what that is and like how you think, um, what, what effect that has on society? Um, one thing, I mean, toxic masculinity, I think has a, a great role in society. It's the reason Trump got elected. Um, it's the reason, a lot of the reason that police brutality exists outside of racism. It's men having like the hero complex and, you know, thinking that all things should be solved with violence. Um, it's the reason that a lot of things in the world are as messed up as they are today. You know, men are generally conditioned to not, you know, to not be sensitive, to not feel feelings, to not uh, communicate, to not uh, seek help. Um, And all of those things are super, super damaging. So what I'm trying to do with the show is really just kind of have conversations with people talking about how they were brought up and things that they've had to learn or unlearn as they've gotten older about masculinity. And, you know, I've had some really, really good conversations with people so far. And I've, I've interviewed folks. I mean, I've only done 12 shows so far, but I've interviewed people from all over the spectrum, every ethnicity, um, every kind of background, every sexual orientation. Like I've, I've interviewed people who work in the mental health field, like you name it. And the conversations have all been really, really impactful and really, really um, eye-opening. Um, because there's a lot of shit that, um, I mean, mental health is so stigmatized in society, even still. Um, and there are a lot of people who just don't realize that they're uh, depressed or anxious or whatever it is. So they turn to violence, you know, whether it be domestic violence or outside violence. They, you know, they 
turn to excessive drinking. They turn to, to drugs. Like a lot of the, um, you know, the, the problem uh, in America right now with opioids is certainly related to mental health. Um, people repress their sexuality. People repress their emotions, their grief. Um, you know, tons of people. I mean, I think one thing I've thought is that every black person in America has some form of post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, but that's not dealt with. And, you know, there need to be conversations about this stuff to normalize it and make it okay for people to, you know, to go to rehab, make it okay for people to seek therapy, make it okay for people to have deep, for men to have deep conversations with each other without, you know, there's the stigma, oh, you know, he's sensitive or he's, you know, he's open about his feelings or he's emotional, he must be gay. Um, like, people need to sort of, like, I mean, not sort of, people just need to kind of get rid of that notion. I mean, there's nothing wrong with, with being an emotional person. There's nothing wrong with being a sensitive person. Like, those are attributes. Those are not qualities to be hidden. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I, I was just thinking about, um, like, the high suicide rate in Japan because I know, like, the culture that is very, like, you don't talk about things. You, it's you know, very you, repressive. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, yeah. They, and they have that whole forest of people hating themselves. You know? yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I was looking at some stats not too long ago because I had to do a presentation and I don't remember what it was, but it was something like men are for like, I think men and women attempt suicide at about the same rate, but men are four times more likely to succeed. I don't think, I don't know that that's an exact set, but it was something mm. in that, in that realm. Um, and it really is, it has a lot to do with repression. It has a lot to do with conditioning and shitty childhoods and just not being given tools to survive in today's world. Yeah, because I guess, um, like, like women, like, it's more, like, they'll usually talk to, like, their friends or they'll, yeah. they'll confide in people because it's not looked down on as much if, they'll, if they talk to their friends or if they confide about what they're feeling. But with guys, it's more like, oh, they got to be, the man and you know right you can't, yeah like you can't talk about your feelings you got to go to the bar and watch football and, and have a beer with your homeboys you know but you can't sit on the couch with your homeboys and, and talk about real shit like there's you know men are not supposed to be emotional and you know i certainly had that experience um you know that kind of conditioning growing up um i think it is uh more common in men of color uh, be they black or Latin or Asian, um, than it is with white people. Um, it is more common in poor communities than it is in well-to-do communities. It's more prevalent in suburbs and in rural areas than it is in cities. I mean, New York City, everybody sees a therapist. Um, but, you know, it, it, that the conversations need to be had just so people can hear something that they identify with and are like, oh, well, this is what I'm going through. Maybe I should go get some help. Yeah, because uh, a lot of uh, otherwise people, a lot of times people are thinking like, oh, I, I must be like a weirdo. I'm feeling this way right. or I'm thinking this, but they don't know that there's other people, you know, going, going through the same thing as them. And I felt that way for a long fucking time. And then I started being open about going to therapy and being open about, you know, having suicidal thoughts. And people would come to like people would come, come, to, come to me afterwards and be like, yo, I feel the same way. And I was like, where the fuck were all y'all when I thought I was the only asshole on the earth who felt this way? There are tons of people who feel that way. Um, and there's nothing weird about it. There's nothing uncommon about it, you know. But the important thing is for people to, like, get help and, and become better. Learn to deal with the shit that they've had better and learn to process it. 
Yeah, and do you and do you think that um, you know, a lot of cases like where uh, drugs are prescribed for people with mental health issues, like uh, some of those, if the person was just able to talk about what was going on, like it, it, like they wouldn't necessarily need the drugs. Like, are they? I mean, I know there's cases where people where people need medication, but maybe yeah. it's a bit over prescribed too. Because I feel like that even happens like with children a lot, like. A kid's acting up, they'll, they'll prescribe Ritalin. Yeah, they'll go right Ritalin, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I do think that is the case. I mean, I do take medication, um, and it has been helpful, but that's also been many years of, like, trial and error and being on certain things and not being on certain things. And, you know, medication is nothing without therapy. Like, you need to talk. You need to get your shit out. And I feel like if you're just on medication without having talk therapy, like, your medication's going to block it, but then at some point the medication is going to wear off and you're going to still have all of these emotions and not know what to deal, not know how to deal with them. So I think when it comes to mental health, the most important thing is to have someone to talk to. Um, and then what comes after that is medication. Yeah. So, so I guess like, like toxic masculinity is more like the negative, like part of masculinity. Yeah. Right? I mean, like and the, yeah. yeah. And detoxicity is kind of, the getting rid of all of those negative things, um, you know, and like, again, like we've, I've talked to people about, you know, being bullied as kids. I've talked to people about, um, you know, about, uh, you know, their parents finding out that they were gay. I've talked to people about, you know, about racism, about, um, you know, about kind of uh, growing up assuming that violence was the answer to everything, like all this stuff. And it's stuff, it's, it's, pretty, you know, there's some stuff that's just constantly like repetitive in conversation um, that, that comes up quite a bit. And, um, you know, I just think that, that the picture needs to be reframed. And again, like things like sensitivity and asking questions and empathy, like those things need to be prioritized. Like, it's not just about, you know, we're not in the fifties anymore. You know, the man isn't, you know, putting on a suit and going to work and, bringing, uh, you know, coming home with the briefcase while uh, the wife is cooking dinner like that. That archetype is 70 years in the past, thankfully, because it, it should never have been the archetype. Um, but people kind of still have that attitude um, of, you know, the John Wayne kind of masculinity. And that's just that's it's damaging. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I guess like uh, I guess there could be like, like a, a positive side to like masculinity or like maybe a new Vision of masculinity. Yeah, yeah, it's a new vision of masculinity. Like, I, you know, I'm a man. There's nothing wrong with being a man. Um, It's just about what is a man. Yeah. Um, And I think ultimately, really, all that being a man is about is about being comfortable in your own skin. Um, You know, and and, um, trying to be as good a person as possible for yourself, you know, for your friends and family, for your kids. Uh, your parents, um, your loved ones, you know, and just in general, just just being an evolved, you know, good person with like a healthy emotional, you know, with, with healthy emotions. Yeah. Yeah. And like, like you were saying before, like, and it used to be more trying to live up to that archetype rather than just accepting yourself. Like, right. Then, then, then uh, like, if pe- it'd be good for like people to learn to accept themselves but not like feel they have to and not feel they have to fit into some kind of box with who they are and just like be who they are 
Right. Because so much of masculinity is really just about having the biggest dick in the room. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, it, it, that kind of just needs to not be important to people anymore. Yeah. No. And I and I was also thinking like um like the the same way like you improve the world is kind of similar to like how you improve yourself or you get get more uncomfortable with yourself because yeah. like you know we were talking about like people talk about like you know how understanding the history of this country so we can improve the future is the same as like you also have to look into your own past with improving yourself you have to look into your own past in order to improve your your own future and your own present too. Yeah, you got to be with yourself. I mean, look, I'm not a by no means am I a perfect person. Um, I've done some fucked up shit in my life. Um, and thankfully, I've had the opportunities and the chances to do better and get better. Um, and not everybody recognizes that or has that opportunity. Um, but I do think it's important to, like, realize when you're at a point and you're like, oh, fuck, like, this, I need to make some changes now. Otherwise, like, the rest of my life isn't going to be that great. And then act on that and make those changes. So where would you like to go uh, going forward with like uh, this, like uh, in, and as a mental health counselor? I mean, I think, I think the podcast, like it just started. I started it, I think, uh, funnily enough, the first episode I, uh, I published was the day before we all got sent home for, uh, you know, for self-isolation and quarantine. Um, so it's still a pretty new thing. I've, I've only done 12 episodes and I'm just looking for people to talk to, to interview who are willing to be open and um, vulnerable. And I want to continue having these conversations and hopefully people will listen to them and learn from them. Um, you know, and like, I don't know how much, you know, I'm not looking to have any kind of like influence over the world at large, but I want to have influence over the people that I can have influence on. And I, you know, I know that the, the, the things that I say and do have some kind of gravity and, you know, I just want to make sure to use the, the power that I have. And we all have that power. Like I'm not more special than anybody else, but um, I just want to use that power for good. And like my goal ultimately is to just live as honest a life as I can. You know, I spent a lot of time, um, you know, dealing with stuff and, and hiding stuff because, you know, because of my mental illness, because of my sexuality, and because I thought that people were not going to respect me or love me or, you know, take me seriously or whatever it was. And then, you know, I started to be way more open about that stuff. And I think the people that you know, I've certainly lost friends and, you know, I don't have a great relationship with uh, a lot of my family or whatever, but the people that are in my life are 100% in my life. And I don't have to worry about bullshitting them about anything because they know everything about me. Uh, I don't have to hide from anybody and not having to hide from, from anybody is so freeing. Um, you know, it just allows you to, to, you know, again, to live your life is, you know, in an honest, like real way. Yeah, like strength through uh, vulnerability. Yeah. 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 So, and you, you've been with Radio Free Brooklyn for a while, right? Like since, uh, I... since November 2016. And, and the show you do with them is more like music based? Or... Yeah, it's, it's music driven. I mean, uh, it originally started out as like a show uh, where I was specifically playing music from the 80s. And it was really kind of like funk and R&B and hip hop and dance music. And, um, you know, it's gone through a couple of different phases since then. Um, now that uh, we're recording from our homes, um, I'm not able to have guests. 
Well, I mean, if we weren't under quarantine, I'd be able to have guests, but you know, I can't have other people in my house. So it's kind of gone back to the original intent, but you know, it mutates, you know, I, I'll, you know, I play music now from, you know, a bunch of different eras. I've, uh, you know, suddenly expanded outside of kind of the, uh, you know, the genre template that I had, you know, I'm, I'm, I have pretty eclectic taste in music. So, you know, I kind of play whatever I feel like playing and uh, it's just fun. Like, it's great to have an outlet, you know, every yeah. Wednesday for two hours. It's like, I'm sitting in my living room playing records for my friends. Um, so it, it's just a really fun thing. I've, I've, you know, it's rare that I've done something for four years and not gotten tired of it. And have you been doing like your own music at all? Cause you mentioned like you, you started out in the music industry. No, well, not as an artist. Um, I mean, I am not a musician whatsoever. I have no talent in that regard, but you know, I started, you know, I, I started out, uh, my first job at 17 was working in a record store and you know, I'm 44 now and I have worked in some facet of the music industry straight through that. So 27 years. Um, and, uh, you know, I've always loved music. I, you know, I've had a record player since I was five years old. And um, I've always wanted to work in music. And again, as someone who can't sing, can't write music, can't play music, um, I tried to get in however I could. And, you know, it, it's managed to uh, sustain as a career for this long time. So I'm, I'm greatly appreciative of that and appreciative of music in general. Yeah, I, I guess it's just neat to like be able to be around it even if you aren't yeah. directly making it yourself. Yeah, I mean yeah. if you if you're not a musician, you can write about music, you can be a DJ, you can be um you know, you can be a curator, you can, you know, run a venue, you can be a manager, you can be all this stuff. Like there's plenty of ways to get involved with music without having any musical talent. And you and you still prefer uh like records over over digital. Yeah, I mean I you know, I have a Spotify subscription. Um but if I really like music, if I really like a person's music, I'm going to want to put money in their pocket. And the easiest way to put money in their pocket is to buy a record, whether you buy it physically or digitally. Like if I hear an album that I like and it's not available in a physical format, I'll spend the nine ninety nine and buy it on iTunes. Um, like I don't, if I like something, I won't just stream it. Like I will figure out a way to get some money in the artist's pocket because you know, a stream is paying an artist point oh 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 one of a cent, you know? Yeah. So I think that's yeah. the right thing to do. And I'm from the old school. Like there was no Spotify or uh, Apple music or title, you know, when I was in my twenties and most of my thirties. Um, so I'm accustomed to buying music and I'm going to continue doing it. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of a more uh, personal like connection. Like if you actually physically own the album, like you see like the, like the, like the booklet with it and yeah. everything. It's like, it's more of like an experience, like to sit down and listen to it rather than just, you know, like stream it from your iPod. It's also like better sound quality. Yeah. Too. I mean, yeah. it's funny. Like when I was a kid, I used to be like, Oh man, I wish I had like a jukebox that had all the music in the world on it. And now I kind of have that. And I prefer just having records. And I almost wonder if like, since it's so accessible, like all the, all that music, like if, like we appreciate, like people appreciate it less. I think like people do. So yeah, yeah. I think people do. I mean, people do appreciate music less because it's not like, you know, when I was a teenager in my early twenties, and I spent ten dollars on a tape, like that was the only tape I had, and I played the shit out of that tape until I memorized every word. Now it's just kind of like, oh, 
I can listen to this Led Zeppelin record, or I can listen to this Michael Jackson record, or I can listen to this Kendrick Lamar record. I can listen to basically whatever the hell I want, whenever I want. And the, uh, you don't bond with the music in the same way. Yeah. 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 I agree. Like I, I still like to own like albums too, but like then like a lot of, a lot of albums mainly put out digital music too, but like sometimes yeah. I get it off Bandcamp, Bandcamp. Yeah. Sometimes that, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I also like, you know, when people come over, you know, and they walk into my living room and they're like, oh shit, like that's a collection. Like it's a conversation piece in addition to being, you know, something that I like to love and curate. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That makes sense. So, um, I guess any final thoughts or anything you'd like to say before we wrap up or... I mean, just, you know, I, I, first of all, thank you, Sean, for, uh, you know, letting me uh, run my mouth on your show. I appreciate it. Oh, yeah, no that. problem. Yeah, thanks for, yeah, I think this was a good chat. We got into a lot of different uh, topics, but... Uh, yeah. yeah, but, you know, if you. if you like music, check my show out, the JCC. It's on Wednesdays at 8 on Radio Free Brooklyn. Um, if you're interested in the podcast, Detoxicity is on every available podcast platform there is, Spotify, iTunes, uh, iHeartRadio, Google Play, um, if you're interested in relationships and sex, listen to Life on the Swing Set. That's also on every podcast platform available. Um, and uh, if you're interested in mental health, um, find a mental health charity. Uh, and uh, if you're interested in um, everything that's going on right now, also like donate your time, donate your your money, your resources, and just like talk to people, empathize yeah. with people. Um, you know, take this opportunity to learn more about what it's like to be somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think a lot of times when someone didn't have like experienced the world a certain way, they think that's like the only way there is. Yeah. And then like, if somebody says something different, they're not willing to, to hear it out. Yeah. Like, like the thing that I am most proud of is the fact that I've listened to other people and learned from other people's experiences because I wouldn't be, um, I wouldn't be the person I am now. I might not be alive if I hadn't listened to other people and, you know, gotten a taste of what their experiences are like. Yeah. And it's like, you can kind of, as you take in those different experiences, it kind of like becomes a part of you in a way. And then it makes you, makes you stronger. Yeah. It makes you find things within yourself. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, I better be a good listener to be a interviewer. So (laughs) that's true. (laughs) That is absolutely true. Yeah. Well, uh, where can people like keep updated and all that, like find you, like, uh, find you on social? Sort of the one-stop shop for me on social media is Instagram. I tried Twitter. I, I, I have a bad relationship with Twitter. Um, I had it for a long time and then I stopped like a year and a half ago. And then like a month ago I went back on and I've already deactivated that account because Twitter is just a shithole. Um, but if you want to find me on socials, you can find me on Instagram. Uh, my Instagram is it's Mike Joseph and, uh, there'll be some stuff about everything that we've talked about over the course of this interview. Nice. Yeah. And I think it all kind of can tie together, like, and it overlaps in certain ways, like mental health with like everything that's going on with Corona and like the injustices and like, right. the, like it, mental health is important during that. And of course, music is important too, because like music can be used as a powerful right. tool Absolutely. for change and social. Absolutely. Commentary. Yeah. Right. Cool. Yeah. Well, uh, good talking to you, man. Likewise, Sean. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. You've been listening to BSing with Sean K on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm your host, Sean Neese, and that was my conversation with Mike Joseph, the host of the JCC on Radio Free Brooklyn and also the Deep Toxicity podcast. 
I hope you enjoyed listening. And also, uh, another thing I wanted to mention was Senator Rand Paul, whatever you think of him, is actually filing a legislation to ban the no-knock warrants nationwide in response to what happened with Breonna Taylor and her being killed because of a no-knock warrant. And the bill's been introduced. It's called the Justice for Breonna Taylor Act. And this was, yeah, so I I have to commend Rand Paul on that. Um, I also wanted to mention that there was a Black Lives Matter rally right here in my town of South Orange, and it was very peaceful and yeah actually the cops were watching like behind the protesters and it's a very uh diverse community i I really like the community here in south orange and it was good to uh i didn't uh, i i i didn't even know they were having the rally but then i heard them marching and chanting outside so then uh i went with uh my housemate my housemate wanted to go too and he's not a citizen so it was good i was there but of course like the whole thing was very peaceful um and actually, yes, citizen, of course, citizens have rights with the Constitution, but there's also rights for non-U.S. citizens. I'm going to put a link to that because I think it's important people know their rights uh, when they're protesting and everything. And just in general, it's good to know your rights, always. And Louisville passed the Brianna Law, which banned the no-knock warrant, and like I said... Rand Paul's trying to pass it uh, nationwide, and a lot of other people too, but um, yeah, I th- there's changes being made, so that's a good thing. I think that these protests have paid off, and a lot is being accomplished by these protests. Alright, before we wrap up, I do have some important announcements to make regarding Radio Free Brooklyn. First, I'm going to talk about the Radio Free Brooklyn mobile app. If you would like to listen to Radio Free Brooklyn when you're not in front of your computer, please consider downloading our free mobile app for iPhone and Android available in the App Store for iPhone or on the Google Play Store for Android. And for the Radio Free Brooklyn newsletter, please be sure to subscribe to our monthly newsletter for the latest news about new programming and upcoming Radio Free Brooklyn events. You can sign up at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash newsletter. Um, So... The COVID fundraising. Friends, COVID-19 is disrupting everybody's life right now. And Radio Free Brooklyn is no exception. We, we want you to know that we have made every effort to ensure the health of and well-being of our hosts, staff, and the community at large. We've closed both our studios and canceled live events. But our hosts are still doing their best to continue bringing new original programming by broadcasting live and pre-recording from their home studios, or by selecting the best rebroadcasts of their past shows. With most of our revenue streams evaporated, we need your help. We realize you may be hurting too, but if you can afford a small donation, it would go a long way toward helping us stay on the air. There are three ways you can help. First, you can give a one-time or monthly donation by going to radiofreebrooklyn.org slash donate. There you can find some great t-shirts, mugs, and other swag that we'd like to send you to say thanks. You can also text, use your phone to text RFBGIVE5, that's the number 5, to 44321. It only takes a moment and you'll be able to use your digital wallet for donation. 
Finally, if you stop shop on Mad- on Amazon, you can go to Amazon.com slash smile and register Radio Free Brooklyn as a nonprofit you wish to support. When you do, a percentage of your sales will go to RFB and you will lose and it will cost you nothing. No donation is too big or too small. Whatever you can afford will make a huge difference. We thank you from the bottom of our hearts and wish all our listeners health and happiness as we weathered this storm together. And lastly, the undercover. A virtual benefit for the music industry. Alright, so the name of this event is the Undercover Virtual Benefit for the Music Industry, and it's on June 20th, 2020, at 8 p.m. It's virtual, and it's in, I mean, they're doing it from New York, New York, but you can go on it anywhere. Uh, the, you have to pay 315 to go in, is on link. The ticket URL is, uh, oh, the advanced ticket price is $1. The info ticket URL is link.dice slash fm slash w i f f q q a u h x six. The undercover concert series returns Saturday, June twentieth, twenty twenty, with performances by Ash Jesus, The Big Easy, and Eclectic Method. Developed by the Viscoral Glitch and the A two one M. Uh, Undercover is a virtual benefit concert series that pays pairs to musicians to develop original versions of each other's songs. Undercover provides an opportunity for fans to enjoy a live music experiment experience from the safety and comfort of their homes while raising funds for artists whose incomes have been adversely affected by COVID-19 crisis. Via $1 early ticket purchases and virtual tip jar, a percentage of donations will be distributed to the Musicians Fund as well as participating musicians. Tickets are available at dice.fm. To learn more about concert series, visit undercover.nyc. All right. that's I, I read that one last week. It's the hardest one to like put into words, like read. But, yeah, basically it's an online concert. Like If you want to see it during this COVID-19 um, I'm hoping things are starting to open up more soon because I know like phase one's happening, but yeah, should be fun. Uh, anyway, if you want to keep updated with future episodes of BSing with Sean K, you can look at me up on Spotify, iTunes, RadioFreeBrooklyn.com, or SeanNeese.com. And I also air every Monday at 1 a.m. on Radio Free Brooklyn. Thank you for listening to Radio Free Brooklyn. Your support keeps the station going. And thank you for listening to BSing with Sean K. That about does it for this episode. I'll catch you on the next one.